0: Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco Sunday Morning Worship Service Podcast. For more information or downloads of previous audio services, go to uusf.org. While you're there, check out our monthly newsletter, Weekly Flame, and much, much more. The Hebrew and Christian scriptures, as you might imagine, were being written by and for an agrarian populace, and so are filled with organic and agrarian references. No surprise then that the whole cycle of reaping and sowing, as a metaphor, is used more than 80 times. The one we probably all grew up hearing was the one we read just now the you reap what you sow phrase, as Paul writes to the Galatians, who it appears were clearly worried that justice can be cheated. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. You reap whatever you sow, he writes. So comforting to hear, perhaps, depending on what you've done, may be terrifying. <laughs> but also maybe not worth losing too much sleep over either way because we know from experience that that statement isn't entirely true, not on Earth. It would be great if the world followed this rule of the universe as unshakably as it does the law of gravity or momentum. But it doesn't always work that way, does it? I imagine we all have lots of counter examples that come to mind. We've seen the sweet, trusting person who gives away their social security number, or whose credit card gets stolen. The upright life that gets assaulted on a walk home in trauma that results for years afterwards. And likewise, you and I have probably seen our fair share of badly behaved, unethical, narcissistic people, I think we can think of a few, uh, whose lives seem heaped with luck and blessings, and whose bad deeds never quite seem to catch up to them, although we wait and watch, hoping they will. And I don't think, by the way, that that makes us bad people with hard hearts, that we wait and watch for the chickens to come home to roost. I think it's our desire for justice and fairness to believe that the world is good and in right balance and our fear that it isn't. Sometimes though, what goes around comes around. You know, we all know someone who was pretty badly behaved as a kid, who made everyone in the family miserable and then has kids and one of them gives them a hard time and everyone nods about the apple not falling far from the tree. Or there's the beautiful examples when someone really fabulous has the blessings of their lives washed back over them. Years ago, I started paying attention to that last set of stories and having them hit home in really personal ways. I started thinking about it when my uncle, my mother's brother, got sick. I didn't really know this uncle until we as a family moved to New York City which we did just after I turned eight. Keith lived in upstate New York and he ran a business with his wife. They ran a big restaurant and an inn right on Cayuga Lake, Finger Lakes. And having lived on the west coast up until that point our families had little interaction But my first summer in New York, the summer of my ninth year, I was sent to spend a few weeks with this uncle and my aunt and my two then very young cousins. Years later, when I thanked my uncle for opening his life and home to me, I found out how this had first come about. Keith had come to visit my mom and my dad in their classic New York railroad apartment, the first place we moved after we moved east. He saw them working really hard to launch a new life in a new city, and he thought, I need to help my sister out. And let's remember, this is New York City in 1976 or 77. It's bankrupt. It's, as I recall, the murder capital of the United States. The Godfather? Carmen Galante, his son lived upstairs, so when anything got complicated, Galante, the godfather, would also live upstairs. No one seemed to have air conditioning in a city that had, in the summer, 95-degree days and 100% humidity nights. There were better places for a kid to spend a summer, and Uncle Keith offered what he had. And as a result, Vanessa, Little Vanessa got out of the concrete jungle for a few weeks that first summer and my relationship began with his family. And that first summer would launch a series of summers. Before long, I was entrenched in my second Ithaca family, leaving New York the day after school ended and coming back just before school started. I worked in their restaurant when I was old enough and I acquired two cousins who were stand-in for sisters for this only child. I swam in the lake, I made sacred territory of this whole beautiful place that I spent these months, and two people who became like surrogate second parents. My uncle and his wife were exceedingly generous to open their lives to me. I know they did so without any sense of it ever benefiting them, if anything, Welcoming another child into their busy lives with two small children of their own and a new business to run during its high season was an act of generosity pure and simple. Fast forward 33 years and lay aside all the gifts that I have gotten. My aunt who deeply shaped me died from breast cancer, and not long after that, in a cruel twist of fate, my uncle found he was struggling with an aggressive brain tumor. His older daughter had just had a baby, the first in the family. And it was my family, my parents, who would step in. My mom, who would go to Ithaca to visit Keith as much as she could, and then eventually she and my cousin Laura bringing Keith to New York, where he would be closer to both of them. And when he was gone, it was my mom and dad who babysat for that small infant infant, so Laura and her husband could get a night out, and later for the baby sister who would follow. And it's my parents who sleep over most Christmas Eves with my cousin and my parents, who are called Granty and grunkle, (laughs) by my cousin's children, who know my parents as the closest substitutes for two people, two grandparents they will never know. I have to imagine that for my uncle lying in the hospice bed with long, quiet hours to think, One comfort must have been that he left his daughters in ready hands to catch them. And of course, such hands were ready because he'd made a huge and generous offer three decades earlier at a really inconvenient time with no thought of how it might, if ever, benefit him. It made me think how often what goes around does come around, and in ways that completely surprise us. It doesn't always come right back to us, though, right? Sometimes, maybe more often, we put things out in the world and start some chain reaction that we never recognize as something that we launched, even if it comes back across our doorstep, some cycle of sowing and reaping that's more like a chain, as Marilyn named it, of anonymous grace. A Perfect example of that kind of reaction would be Marilyn's story that we heard today, that woman who spent two hours in the Newark train station keeping three small children busy while Marilyn rushed her bleeding friend to the emergency room. Marilyn, who got nervous, appropriately so, in those two hours and called the station master five times, she told me once. They're having a ball, he'd tell her. And that woman who doled out ice cream in the train station would never see would never know the woman who years later would cry out at Niagara Falls when her husband landed lifeless on the rock ledge below after a fall. The woman in that train station would never see the scene that played out when a well-dressed and respectable woman stepped forward into this mayhem with a strange composure And took the hands of three children knowing just what to do because long ago another woman had shown her what caring perfectly for someone in such circumstances might look like. We may never see the harvest of our own good deeds or even our own bad deeds, but the truth is, I think we can trust that the seeds planted in the world almost always bear a fruit somewhere. The most dramatic story of this that I have heard is the one that's told in the documentary, A Small Act. Has anyone seen that? It tells the story of Chris Maburu. Harvard-educated Maburu began his life poor in rural Kenya. What launched him, however, was the support of a Swedish teacher named Hilda Bach, who, answering some advertisement, sent $15 a month to educate a child in Kenya and was matched with Chris. Years later, Muburu noticed how families in his home village still could not afford to finance their children's education and determined to pay the gift he had been given forward. He started a fund for just that purpose. He named it the Hildebach Foundation in honor of his sponsor. Right there is this huge circle of sowing and reaping, right? But it doesn't end there. Maburu also decided to find Mrs. Bach and to thank her for what she had made possible in his life. So he tracked her down through the Swedish embassy and he found her, this charming, humble woman. They became friends and he heard her story, which was incredibly remarkable. Hilda, a Jew, had been born in Germany. She was persecuted by the Nazis who, among other things, denied her the right to an education. Eventually she got a visa and left Germany, but she had to leave her parents who could not get visas and whom she would never see again behind. Imagine then for her, to hear not just how her gift of education had multiplied, the education she understood so well, the pain of being denied. Imagine the healing there, but, but more so, imagine her reaction to hearing about what the boy whose education she had paid for now does for a living as a man. Because, you see, Chris Maburu became a highly respected human rights advocate. Currently, he's heading the anti-discrimination section of the UN Human Rights Agency, work of which is all about, in part, preventing things like genocide, the kind of violence, abuse, and genocide that tore Hilda's own life apart decades before. What goes around comes around, often in strange and wonderful ways, more often, I think, than we'll ever know. And maybe and most often in ways we'll never see or hear about or recognize as our own handiwork, even when it crosses our own life, taking on a life of its own. It isn't a perfect law of nature, not like gravity, not like momentum, but it has this pull and this force of its own, a gorgeous one, the kind hope relies on. It is annual giving season. And I would be remiss if I didn't connect the dots explicitly. Because I believe that it is this same orientation of the Spirit that has created this place. People with that mindset built this sanctuary. and. People with that philosophy of life muscled up money and leadership to repair it from millions of dollars of earthquake damage after 1989. Margot, are you here? Margot was part of that leadership. She was minister then. Others, like those folks who endowed the church and continue to for hard times, who put in place scholarship monies that we still give out every year. And that isn't just administering those monies, that's connecting to those kids, often with emotional support, practical support in other ways. And it's exactly that law of the universe that had people here this last month at 4.30 in the morning and at five at night after work and a long day of school to make meals and welcome our homeless. When our community looks out for those who are sick or hitting a hard patch, or takes someone to the doctor, or ferries someone else's kid to church and back, or welcomes the stranger. We don't do it with the narrow sense that we're going to be paid back, right? We do it because we believe it matters. We believe somewhere, don't we, deep down that doing so sets in motion this wave of virtue, of hope that yes, of course, blesses us, but in ways far too invisible to put our finger on We live, Alfred North Whitehead once wrote by the Law of Expenditure, meaning it isn't important what comes to us, but what comes out of us. The truth is, put out love, or justice, or honesty, or courage, or compassion, and you have a better chance of getting it back. If for no other reason than it's out there in the world, circulating. Reaping what you sow. It isn't a perfect law, but it gets at something powerful and important. So I propose a new golden rule begun right here and now to live by. Sow what you wish to reap. So, though you may not be able to be there when the harvest comes in, sow and let the magic and the mystery and the ripples of what you lay into the world with loving and determined hands work. Do its work. Bless wherever it goes for what we do is gonna bless far more people and places than I think we can imagine, as this place has for those who built it. And maybe that's the best legacy of any life, scattering what we've been given with lavish hand, trusting in what we put out into the world, and leaving meadows and orchards in the wake of our every footstep for those who follow. May it be so, and blessings to the sowers. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco Sunday Morning Worship Service. For more information or downloads of previous audio services, go to UUSF.org. While you're there, check out our monthly newsletter, weekly flame, and much, much more.